raising capital and building the right team is not a walk in the park for a health tech or med tech startup. It's complicated and often fraught with hurdles and roadblocks. And it doesn't matter how good your idea is, as a health tech startup entrepreneur, some point you're going to feel that pinch of cash flow and you're going to need to raise capital. But then let's say you sort that bit out, then you're going to need to deploy it the right way and build a team to execute on your vision. How do you find the right people who share your passion for changing the healthcare landscape? And when it comes to investment, how do you balance the chase for capital with the core mission of your startup? On the show today, THT Community Operations Manager Sophie Turner speaks with Giovanni Loricella, Managing Partner at Lifeblood Capital. He's traveled more than 40 countries and assisted over 500 startups, and he's been instrumental in raising over $300 million in capital and $4 billion in acquisitions. In this episode, we talk about why raising capital is a relationship-building game and why it can't be automated or processed out, the hidden cost of making a bad hire and why it's sometimes more expensive than not hiring at all, and we hear Giovanni's key strategies for talent acquisition that have led to more than 2,000 hires across health tech and med tech startups. Collaboration starts with the conversation team, health tech. Let's make it happen. This is Talking Health Tech with me, Peter Birch, featuring content and community about technology in healthcare. Between now and the end of June, we're conducting the 2024 Talking Health Tech audience survey. This helps us prioritize content, hone in key messages, and refine the show to make it even better. We also want to understand who the biggest cohorts of our audience are. So I'd love for you to take five or 10 minutes to have your say and complete the survey. Everyone who completes it goes in the draw to win a share of $1,000 worth of THT Plus membership credits to put towards a membership for yourself as an individual or to help get the word out about your company. The link to complete the survey is in the show notes of this episode or just go to talkinghealthtech.com slash survey. Giovanni, welcome to Talking Health Tech. It's wonderful to have you here today. I know that we're on opposite time zone, so I'm starting the day and you're wrapping yours up, but it's great to have you here and we really appreciate your time. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do? Thank you, Sophie. Yes, my name is Giovanni Loricella and I'm the managing partner of Lifeblood Capital. We are 100% dedicated to the medical device and med tech startup community that's global. And what we do is we build teams, but we also have an investor piece where we've made direct investments into startups. We've made direct investments into venture funds, but our core competency is building teams for those startup companies and understanding by having a very large investor network, who the right investors are for those startups. So helping them get funded, but more importantly, once they get the money, making sure that they have the right people so that they can spend it on the right people to go hit the milestones. And then we stick in this community of entrepreneurship and building the right companies to ultimately get technology to patients. Yeah, amazing. So for our listeners, you have a background in finance. You've helped over 500 startups, I think globally, is it? Yes, my undergrad in finance, my master's in medical devices for regulatory affairs or regulatory affairs for medical devices. At this point in time, yeah, well over 500 companies, hired more than 2,000 people at this point. We've helped facilitate a little bit more than 300 million for roughly 76 companies, made a lot more introductions that have had more networking effects and didn't lead to money, but you never know where that goes. 
and have traveled the world. So literally you have done this all over the planet. Yeah, wow. So we're talking health tech. So big believers in that collaboration starts with a conversation. And my experience is you never know where those conversations take you. And it's often a small bit from everything stacks up to something amazing. So you've got a wealth of experience behind you. What are some of the biggest mistakes that you see startups make when raising capital and importantly making those initial hires? Great question. Raising money, I would say the fundamental one, and it's an educational game that is different every single time, but those who have successfully raised and successfully done companies before, like everything else in life, fortunately have a little bit more of an easy streak when it comes to doing it the next time because they've made the mistakes already. So if we focus on first-time founders and first-time entrepreneurs who are raising capital, there's two major buckets of fundamental areas that you can go raise money from. There's a lot more than that. But if you've never done it before, you think about high net worth individuals and you think about venture capitalists because you've seen it on movies and Netflix series and all that stuff. Are you venture capital ready is probably the first question I would ask any first-time founder because they want to put these slide decks together and then they want to go out and pitch and they're going to sell their story to a venture capital firm. But are they ready for venture capital? I don't know if the answer is yes or no, depending on the company that we're looking for, but early stage ones often take this blast approach and they really don't do the diligence. They don't really understand why they don't fit in portfolios. They think they should fit in every portfolio and that's not necessarily the case. So doing hardcore diligence on who they're reaching out to is very important. More importantly, understanding are you reaching out to venture or should you be looking at angel investors and family offices because you're not venture capital ready yet. That's one of the major big ones that I would say we run across all the time. And it's a big waste of time for early stage founders because they go out and have 200 conversations when they were lucky if two or three of them made sense to have in the beginning in the first place. Sure. So then if we flip that, so we've got the venture capital piece and then you mentioned the angel investing, which you guys do a little bit of that as well. What does the right opportunity or what's it that you look for and what sets early startup apart? I think any angel investor who takes themselves too seriously, who's listening to this podcast right now, there seems to be a large wave of angel groups and angel investors who want to act like venture capitalists and turn this into a science and over-professionalize it. When you're making angel investments in early stage companies, and I'm talking about med tech, there is this iteration effect that's going to take place that when you're getting involved into a seed round of financing, by the time that technology actually makes it through development and a notified body or a regulatory body clearance or approval, and then go gets commercialized, like at that moment in time, the product that you initially invested in or the idea or the technology that you thought you invested in at the seed stage, it's literally changed 10 times before it got cleared by a regulatory body. So upfront, when these angel investors take themselves too seriously on investing in the technology, I mean, there's of course fundamentals. Is the market large enough? Is there a story that's going to talk about a large market that's being satiated versus a small market? But a lot of the time, like for me, you're investing in the human being, you're investing in the founders, you're investing in the entrepreneur. Do you believe that you're giving your money to the right person that will do the best job to build a company that happens to be having a technology in it? that you believe in that person to give them a fair shot to go build a company and raise external money, 
and continuously be able to keep that development going to hopefully success. That's really the fundamentals. And the companies that we've invested in, we've built really strong relationships with the entrepreneurs. Let's call them friends. And they've really told a really great story, but it's beyond the story of their technology. It's who are they at their point in life right now? What are they willing to give up to make sure that this company is successful? Do they have one foot in, one foot out? Meaning like, hypothetically, are they a practicing physician by day and a wannabe entrepreneur by night in the weekends? That if you give them a check of 10,000, 50,000, 100,000, the moment that things crash or get hard, that one foot of entrepreneurship goes back into the other foot next to the other foot back in their day job. And they're like, oh, sorry about your 100 grand. And they always have the safety net. So you have to understand the person and you have to understand it's a person with an idea that is developing very quickly. But to say that you're investing in a technology and seed stage so early on, I don't believe in that. There's a lot of fundamentals that you have to get past. Do you like the technology? Do you like the story? Is there a big enough market? Fine. But once you get past that, it's about the entrepreneur that you're investing in because the story in the company is going to change too many times before it actually becomes a company that's generating revenue. Sure. So really investing in that person and who they are. What are some of those standout qualities that you look for in the type of person? I've asked this question a bunch of times too. And, and the answer, it sounds so soft and cliche, and but it really is true. Like when you are having those cocktail conversations or at a conference and you're really sitting down and you're talking to the person, it is the passion that this person feels. What are they giving up? I'll give you a great example there is one entrepreneur who, fortunately, his wife is the breadwinner of the family right now, and she's incredibly supportive of her husband's dream, and they have a, a pact between each other that he's literally not going to take any salary, any money for the first two years of doing this. And in that, he's going to be developing, he's going to be finding co-founders, he's going to be raising capital to be able to de-risk as much as he possibly can for this technology so that they can go out and raise when they're venture backable. And then they have something real. And then all of a sudden, you'll start taking a salary and then life should be somewhat normal. When you're looking at an entrepreneur, like I said before, one foot in, one foot out, because there's not a safety net or there is a safety net for them rather, or you hear very early on that they're looking to raise money because they need a salary and it's not really market understanding of what they're looking for. Like they just would really want to go out and raise a million dollar seed round of funding, but they also want the $250,000 salary to go along with it. And it's okay, the 750 grand has to go somewhere else, but are you going to hire a management team and then the development and the outsourcing and then that million dollars gone? Like, don't you want to hold on to your founder shares a little bit more, maybe keep that, have less money up front and then hit some more milestones and then go out and raise big money so that you can actually be properly compensated? So those are the things that you look for. It's like, what are they really looking to give up? What is their strong passion? Why aren't they going to let this fail? How strong is their network? Are they an introverted engineer, a sociopath physician, or is it someone who's really great at pulling the strings of networking, the value of connecting with people? Because it's not only just creating a technology. It's once you're there, you need to build a community around you. Where are you going to go find the community of investors, outsource industry partners, law firms, corporate strategics to give you feedback, KOLs and, and physicians to jump on your scientific advisory board to give you feedback on your technology. If you don't feel comfortable picking up the phone and dialing or 
going and traveling and talking to these people and being an aggressive networker, you're never going to be a successful entrepreneur. The Talking Health Tech podcast has evolved a lot over the years, all based on audience feedback. Now I need your help, yes you, to shape the future of this show. Between now and the end of June, we're running our biggest campaign to date in order to understand what makes the global healthcare ecosystem tick. Last time we ran our Talking Health Tech audience survey, we learnt 40% of our audience are clinicians, 77% of our audience tune in for professional development and market awareness, 8% of people listen to Talking Health Tech for competitor profiling, and only 2% of people listen to the podcast to fall asleep. And this time around, I can't wait to find out about your preferences for audio versus video content, which topics we should dive into more preferences for hosts and formats and geographical reach and so much more. And don't worry, we'll be sharing all the insights once all the responses are collected as well. So if you're a supporter of Talking Health Tech and you can spare five or 10 minutes, please complete our 2024 audience survey. And to say thanks for your input, everyone who completes the survey goes into the draw to win a share of $1,000 worth of credits towards THT Plus membership. Go to talkinghealthtech.com slash survey or the links in the show notes of this episode as well. Sure. And a part of building that community is bringing that team of your employees along with you. What advice do you have around that building a team and that those initial hires? The initial hires, so... Let's assume we're looking at an early stage company that has co-founders and they've gotten far enough along where they've done some outsourcing, they have consultants, et cetera, but they're hitting a point in time where they do need to go out and raise a substantial round of financing. The investors are going to look at them and say, okay, you want me to write a check for $4 million and be part of a syndicate for your $10 million Series A, but then there's only the two of you. So if you ultimately have $10 million now lopped in your bank account, do you have a hiring plan? Is it just the two of you going to execute on $10 million? Do you have a plan for spending that money? between? The answer should be no. We're not going to be just the two of us spending $10 million. The answer should be no, no, no. We're going to go expand and we're going to have a proper CTO, chief technology officer. We're going to have to hire a quality manager to put in the quality management system. We need to hire two or three more solid engineers with their own right of specificity on the development cycle. And you need to explain like, do you understand fair market rates for going out and buying those people? How are you justifying raising the $10 million for Series A? Where's that money going? Because the investors want you to hit milestones. That's what they're giving you money for. They want you to develop so that you're constantly de-risking. I can't say if it's original. I don't know. I thought I made it up. I haven't heard anyone else say it, and I've been saying it for a few years. So it's something that I call the medtech startup equation. Once you have your co-founders and you hit that point of inflection where you literally have to go out and raise external capital... The equation goes money plus people equals milestone or capital plus team equals milestone, right? So you raise the money, you take that money, you go spend it on additional human resources to bring onto your team so that you can advance and develop more to hit that milestone. What happens when you hit the milestone? You're hitting the promises that you told the original investors that gave you that money. But then the cycle repeats. So it's money, people, milestone go out and raise more money, people, milestone. And then you're constantly expanding until unfortunately failure, which we hope doesn't happen, or an exit. Is that full-blown commercialization going into an IPO? Is that being acquired by Abbott, Medtronic, Boston Scientific, Edwards, who knows? You need to be able to spend the money appropriately on building a team, but those people have to have the foresight as to what does it really mean to build a team? 
And then what are the key hires initially on the management team that need to be in place to gain the respect as well as the attention and also the credibility for this management team by the investors who are willing to give you the money? You need to be able to properly put that together. So money, team, milestones is a big takeaway. And I will definitely credit you as the godfather of that equation. <laughs> well, in a few weeks from now, I'm hosting a panel and it would be the second one that I've titled it. I'm, I'm doing it at the MedTech conference by AdvaMed in Anaheim, California. And the panel is called the MedTech Startup Equation. And it's literally talking about the community that needs to happen to follow that equation of money, people equals milestone. And it's true. It's the bare bone fundamentals. Fantastic. So then what trends are you currently seeing in the med tech space that's influencing that equation? The trends in med tech that I'm seeing are, fortunately, we are finally coming out of a treacherous winter. There was this seven or eight months that I would probably say that I hope I never have to relive. I'm 15 years into the industry. I haven't seen anything that dire before. I've heard of you have your bad quarter, you have a bad month, quiet this, but for the most part, it's either steady or then it, you know, it's the Gatsby party that happened in 2021 where it sounds fun to talk about. I actually hope it doesn't happen again because it was way too unsustainable. I mean, money was just getting tossed around like monopoly money, way drove valuations through the roof. I think the industry is paying for it now. We saw investors jump in to get into healthcare that have never been into healthcare before because you know now all of a sudden COVID made everyone very hyper aware of health. And- then they realize how hard it is to actually invest in healthcare and the hurdles and the regulatory hurdles and the timelines, and you don't make money as quickly or as easily as you do in high tech or those types of SaaS models. So we saw a lot of investors jump in and a lot of ju jump out. And now the industry had paid for it. Valuations came down. Money got super quiet, super tight. And at least what I'm personally seeing is there was something that happened in the water right around the very back end of April going into May of this year money started loosening up. And when I say it was stale, stagnant, and frozen for the previous six months, whatever happened after summer of 2022, that dovetail into about a year ago from now into Q4 2022, awful. And starting off the year, I think a lot of people had optimism after coming off of a bad quarter and they were hopeful that it was going to start and it didn't. And it really persisted going into the back end of Q2 of this year, 2023. And fortunately, it's thawing out. Now we're seeing press releases again, which we didn't see for a while, of startups raising and closing their rounds of funding, venture capital funds being closed. We like almost literally didn't see... I thought press release companies went out of business between September of 2022 and April of 2023. I didn't know who was announcing anything anymore. Back in 2021, you couldn't go on LinkedIn or go on the news feeds without hearing about a startup company raising way too much money or funds being closed. So we're in a healthier spot right now. That's the trend that I'm seeing. I'm very fortunate for it. We're five months in. So it's September, May, April, May, June, July, August, September now. I'm hoping that it continues. And I think the start of this year was rough. We're into a healthier back half of this year. And I'm really hoping for a just consistent, healthy 2024 where we had our highs in 2021, the shoe came off in 2022, and it would just be nice to just have a little bit of healthy recorrection and just stability of incremental growth, which I'm keeping my fingers crossed for. Yeah, I'm sure there's a lot of med tech companies here in Australia crossing their fingers for that as well. 
For the Australian sector in med tech, is there any advice you have for them wanting to move in and crack that US market? Crack the US market. I've been very fortunate to interact with numerous Australian startups before. I hosted my own podcast called MedTech Money that we did 127 episodes. We just wrapped it up in June of 2023. It was exactly a two-year project. We covered a few episodes out of Australia. Shout out to Peter Vrain, CEO of Neutromics out of Melbourne. And he gave really, really great insight into the Australian market. He's currently commercializing here in the United States now. The challenge with Australia, and I'm, I'm speaking, I have been to Australia. You and I were just talking about that offline not too long ago. And I have a lot of friends there and I've done business there and I interact with startups on a fairly regular basis there. But I'm speaking based off of all what's been told to me and what I've experienced through my own journey. It just goes without saying. It's a smaller population. There's not that much venture capital money ready. And the amount that's dedicated to health, there's funds that do industry agnostic or multi-industry investing. I'm sure that's a lot of pressure from just the 25 million people that live in Australia versus the 380 million that are in the United States and other regions, right? So there's always pressures of there's only so much market size, but there's limited funds that are dedicated to healthcare. And when you don't fully understand the regulatory aspects of healthcare, and it's just one of your focal points, it means you're not necessarily an expert at that. But then what does that mean? There's wonderful, amazing technologies that are created in Australia, like super kudos for a country of 25 million people and the amount of innovation that comes out of there and the universities that you guys have. I mean, it's world-class. How do you bridge that 45-degree angle northwest up to the United States and get that venture money or the other way around the world and go to the Middle East or Europe and get that venture money? You have to, this is what I've been told, and it seems obvious based on how the world is mapped out no pun intended, you have to leave the island eventually and you have to go and seek capital and build teams and commercial markets elsewhere. Like To say that you're going to build a unicorn from white sheet of paper, develop it, commercialize it, and turn it into a billion-dollar company as a medical device company and clinically test it all in Australia, very challenging, which means what is that slash impossible? So what does that mean? It, It forces you as an Australian to look outside. I would strongly recommend cultivating relationships as early on as you can in your development as an Australian company, like telling your story, reaching out, building relationships with venture capitalists, corporate strategics in the United States, Europe, China, Singapore. And then the sooner that you possibly can have a footprint into one of those major markets, like having an entity in the United States and going and telling an Australian American story, which going after the major market when you're commercializing anyway it will literally transform your company and solidify your company's development plan sooner rather than later. You're going to need external partners on that. And so while you guys develop absolutely world-class technologies, have an amazing clinical research backend where companies from around the world are coming to do clinical research in Australia, like super kudos to that. But what I would say is de-risk as much as you possibly can while you're in Australia, but then seek U.S venture capital as quickly as possible. And the appetite's there. And also the branding is there of Australia being a first-class, world-class company or country of innovation. I know plenty of investors who make Australian investments. So the relationship, the sovereign relationships are there. Fantastic. Some great takeaways there. You're coming up to speak at Malta at MedTech World, which is in mid-October? It is. 
Yeah. Yep. So you're a key partner and a speaker. What are you going to be talking about at MedTech World? So I'm actually running the conference and fortunately I've had the ability to build it with Dylan Attard. So he's my amazing co-host and friend who's currently, as we speak right now, in Malta. He's Maltese. I'm actually heading out to Malta next week to do a walkthrough and tie up all the loose ends and make sure that everything's ready and prepared for our big debut. That's going to happen on October 18th, 19th, and 20th. And it is a pure investor and entrepreneur conference. So for all those listening who have gone through the gamut of various styles of conferences, this is not a physician-focused conference where you're going to chase physicians and show off technologies and it's solely cardiovascular. This is a med tech industry conference. It is business to business. It is a bunch of entrepreneurs and a bunch of investors, all of various sorts coming from all over the world. While the purpose is, of course, having startups wanting to meet great investors in person and who knows what comes of that. And hopefully we all hope that someone gets invested in. We have a really unique situation where we have this very, 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 very tiny island in the middle of the Mediterranean, super beautiful. So who wouldn't want to have that human magnetism of going to spend some fun time in a fun place so that we're pulling that off. The logistics and the fact that everyone speaks English and English is a a national language, I mean, just makes the business culture of it very easy. So it's a wonderful place to actually host a conference, but we're not going for shooting for the moon. Like We have no ambition to have a 40,000 person conference. We don't want to grow every single year. It's about densification of making this a very valuable conference for those in med tech. What does that mean? It's entrepreneurs, it's investors, and it's the corporate strategics who are buying them. That's the perfect trifecta, right? So while we're in our first year of really pulling this hardcore med tech entrepreneur and investor year conference together this year, it's going to be augmented, optimized, and improved every single year. And this is going to be a conference that's going to be on the circuit. It's going to be dependable. We're going to knock it out of the park this year. I think we're probably fingers crossed, hoping for the who's who of about 200 to 250 people who are attending. And um, Wednesday, the 18th of October, we're hosting an only CEO event or a CEO only event. We actually launched that program this year in Ireland, starting and kicking off MedTech Strategist Innovation Summit in Dublin. We ended up having 74 medical device CEOs in a room and there was no one to impress. There was no investors. There was no corporate strategics who was thinking about buying them. There was no industry partners. There was me with a microphone. That was about it. And I was trying to stay as visible as possible. But 74 medical device CEOs who all live at the helm of their companies, very lonely positions. It's very challenging and lonely at the top. And it was a room of like-minded people who could be there to support and help each other. And it was wildly successful. We're doing that again in Malta. We're doing that on Wednesday the 18th. The 19th and 20th are the days for panels, and we're going to be finalizing it with a 10 med tech startup pitch competition. I really wanted to focus and hyperdensify this one where I've gone to pitch competitions where some people are raising $10 million, other people are raising $500,000, and the judges are a bunch of service providers. Nothing overly wrong with that. At the end of the day, it's people judging people, and there's supposed to be a winner, and someone wins a prize, and it's all good. But how do we really squeeze the juice and the value out of that? So what we really wanted to do is have it make as much sense as possible. We're having 10 startup companies. All of them are VC ready. So there are no teeny boppers raising seed rounds or anything like that. Nothing wrong with that. It's just we're looking for companies who are further along. And all of the judge panels are only venture capitalists. So imagine you have 
only VCs staring at venture capital ready companies that are pitching. And it is a tangible event of possibility. And so we're going to end with that on the Friday. It goes into a gala and award ceremony, a little bit of flashiness and having some fun, just making sure that everyone feels like they're having an entertained good time on the island. And then people either stay for the weekend with their spouses and having fun touring a 500,000 person island that you can go end to end in an Uber in 35 minutes and really make sure that when you leave the island, you're like, yeah, I've been to MedTech or I've been to Malta. I've been to Sydney and Melbourne, like I told you, in, in Australia, but you know, Australia is the size of the United States. It's like going to New York and saying you've been to the United States. You've physically been there, but have you seen it happen? You can go to Malta and be like, yeah, I've done it all. And it'll be fun. So it's going to be a great time. And the panels themselves, it's all about alternative capital. We have healthcare systems that are going to be talking about what does it mean to raise capital from actual hospital healthcare systems and what the value that they bring there. We have a serial entrepreneur panel that literally talks about why these guys and gals who have literally created and sold multiple companies and proverbially sold a company on a Friday and are sick enough in the head to go start drawing on a napkin on Monday morning, the next morning, and you're like, when are you going to go drink Mai Tais on the beach? Like You just made tens of millions of dollars. You really want to go back to work on Monday? There's something wrong there, but we got to figure that out. Let's talk about serial entrepreneurship. So we're going to do that. It's going to be a lot of fun. I'm excited. I want to be there. It feels like- <laughs> You're energy. more than welcome to come. Yeah. This great energy and possibility and opportunity and, and what a beautiful place to, to host it in. Thank you. We got lucky. Yeah, fantastic. We'll pop some details for that in the show notes. So if the Australian market misses 2023, we'll all be there banging the door down in 2024. You can count on it. We'll be there minimally. We got the next three years ahead of us planned for sure. Yeah, brilliant. Now to wrap out today, what do you hope for the next five years in MedTech? I hope that we get our arms around these buzzwords that are flying around that have kept us all entertained for a while, but still haven't really had wildish outcomes of success. What is digital health? And is it really mainstream? And what are the outcomes and who's going to pay for it? Or is it really a consumer product? AI. We've been talking about it for years at this point. And Everyone wants to put it on their slide deck and dot AI, and, and it's all great. But we've seen a lot of dead bodies in terms of companies with AIs. We've seen a lot of companies struggle along. And I'm sure there's someone who's going to crack the code and it's going to be mainstream and it's really going to work. And, and people listening into this might think I'm crazy because they could probably point to minimally 10 examples of where AI is flourishing. But as a whole, there's plenty of articles out there about AI missed the mark. It's good until it's not. It's still humanly fallible based on the data sets that are implemented, all these things. When's that going to get solved? Like, When is AI going to be as predictable as a catheter? I don't know. That would be nice. Surgical robotics. Everyone loves to talk about surgical robotics. But yet, when you start peeling back the onion, and I don't know if the statistic has moved or not, but have surgical robotics become truly mainstream in hospitals? No. Have surgical robotic surgeries become the majority of percentage of surgeries conducted? No. I don't know. I, I might be outdated by now. I, I still think that the surgery percentage is under 10% of surgeries utilizing a robot. I think it was as little as three a couple of years ago. I, I'm, I'm losing. I don't know that statistic factually anymore, but it was like, if you're in the innovation industry of med tech, you, you can't help but just get 
all this sexiness of surgical robotics thrown all over you from these things being built everywhere. And then all of a sudden you talk to a real physician and you find out that still not many surgeons are doing surgical robotics. Is it really a thing? I don't know. Is there going to be a day where every surgery is performed with robotics? Maybe. It's not happening right now. It's still a lot less than we think, but it's super sexy to talk about in terms of innovation. And then in general, I think there's a big punchline. We are living in an absolutely crazed innovation society right now. Like There is innovation for the sake of innovating. And it leaves a lot of dead bodies over a while, but there's this like desire and need and massive push to innovate. And sometimes people innovate for the sake of innovating and, it, and they're innovating in a bubble that doesn't really solve an actual problem, which is not necessarily great. And I don't know how to solve that problem. Is it universities need to take more control up front? Don't know. Should it be illegal for some person in their garage to create something that's not going to really do anything? I don't know. But there's a lot of innovation going on right now. And while it's innovating for the sake of innovating sometimes, there has been obviously massive movements in terms of great technologies that have been created and historical regulations that have been put in place. Innovation has seriously outpaced regulations and regulations realistically cannot keep up with the amount of innovation taking place right now. And so with that, how does our regulatory bodies, the TGA in Australia, the FDA in the United States, all the notified bodies that are running around with their hair on fire after the MDRs have been put in place in Europe right now, how are they going to keep up with innovation and enabling and even reimbursement? And then just because you can develop something and have a regulatory body clear it for alleged commercialization, what about all these great technologies that aren't being reimbursed, which means that they really ultimately don't make it to patients? That would all be nice to get figured out too. Well, there's a lot that's going to happen in the next five years. <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna have so. to catch up in in five years time giovanni and be like this is where we were in 2023 where are we now that would be fine with me i would love it if we could solve all these world problems then our industry would just keep on a blazing trail and then we might be able to be just as hot and sexy as high tech with all these unicorns that are popping up but for now we have our own very traditional semi-conservative challenges that we just have to figure out but at the end of the day the goal is we're helping patients through healthcare and augmenting healthcare. And, and, and the one thing that we can speak to, right? I mean, results speak volumes. And actually at Texas Medical Center of Innovation in Houston, Texas, they have a wall. And on the wall, it shows a timeline of the average human life expectancy. I'm going to get quoted severely wrong. If the wall was in front of me, I would just read it out loud. But stick with me in essence. It shows like a wall from the year 800 to basically 1900. And the average life expectancy was like something like 35 and 800. And it had gone up to 42 or something like that in 60 or 70 or something like that. But it was it made very small increments over a very long time. And we have jumped more in terms of life expectancy in the past 100 now 23 years, let's say 1900 to 2023, than we have in the past 900 years. So we're doing something right in terms of innovation and quality of life and healthcare and nutrition. So we're doing something right, but obviously we're making a lot of mistakes along the way, but on the greater whole, we're succeeding as a race. So I'm grateful for that. Amazing. Well, here's to continual succeeding and innovation that helps us globally as a community. Giovanni, thank you so much for your time today. It's been a really wonderful to sit down and meet you and hear what's 
drives you and is happening across the waters and looking forward to seeing MedTech World grow and flourish. Thank you. I'm very excited for it. And thank you very much for starting your day with me. And I'm going to go end it and maybe have a drink. Absolutely. Enjoy that and cheers. (laughs) Thank you. Hey, thanks for sticking around to the end of this episode. If you made it this far, you're the perfect person that I want to hear from. Our THT Plus audience survey is now open until the end of June, and I personally read every submission. In fact, if you leave a comment in the survey that you heard this promotion in a podcast episode, I promise I'll reply directly to you by email with a personal note of thanks, and I'll even buy you a coffee next time I see you in person. It's pretty easy. Just go to talkinghealthtech.com slash survey and have your say. For more content and community about technology and healthcare, visit talkinghealthtech.com.